You are listening to KZYX 90.7 FM Philo, KZYZ 91.5 FM Willits and Ukiah, 88.1 FM Fort Bragg. Altogether, we make up Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, member-supported community radio. We also stream live on the web at kzyx.org. Support for KZYX comes from our members and the Tall Man Hotel and Blue Wing Restaurant on Route 20 just east of Ukiah in Upper Lake. Effective in July, the Tall Man Hotel is now open for travelers along Route 20 under strict new sanitary guidelines. And the Blue Wing is open for outdoor garden seating Fridays through Mondays with brunch service Sundays. Further information is available at tallmanhotel.com. Mind if I sit down Everything you pray for Everything you play for me Hi and welcome to Be More Now My name is Blake Moore and tonight I'm interviewing poet and 2020 Berkeley Lifetime Achievement Awardee, Michael War. In the next hour, we'll be discussing his work as a poet, his latest book of poetry and protest, from Emmett Till to Trayvon Martin, his literary life of service, his two languages, one community project, and so much more. But first, here's Michael War doing Hallucinations at the Velvet Lounge. When Malachi blew his horn, I dreamed of cornbread, yellow mounds with burnt edges on the velvet's culinary altar. His sharp cut riffs morphed into squares of cornbread islands floating in streams of warm butter clinging to the ribs of my memory, speaking in trumpet tongues of passages and uprisings, ancient pain and good times jiving, sacred beats and blues timing, drive-by crying and signifying, an opiate inside of oppression, a cratered chunk of bacon-infused, sweet potato, chicken-smothered, maple pecan, custard-filled, smackling, crackling, jalapeno-inflamed cornbread. The crepe of the slaves now sold at Whole Foods in this jazz-drenched town built of golden bricks and smokestacks, billowing fumes of corn on the cob and catfish, my mind lost in music and metaphysics, reminiscing the Sunday manna served beside my mother's succotash. That was Hallucinations from the Velvet Lounge by Michael War. So before I bring him up, I want to tell you a bit about him. 
San Francisco poet Michael War's books include Of Poetry and Protest, From Emmett Till to Trayvon Martin by W. W. Norton, The Armageddon of Funk, We Are All the Black Boy, and Power Lines, A Decade of Poetry from Chicago's Guild Complex. Michael is the 2020 Berkeley Lifetime Achievement Awardee. Other poetry honors include the San Francisco Library Laureate, Creative Work Fund Award for his multimedia project Tracing Poetic Memory in Bayview Hunters Point, Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Award for Excellence in Literature, Black Caucus of the American Library Association Award, Gwendolyn Brooks Significant Illinois Poets Award, a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship for Poetry, and more. His poems are translated into Chinese by poet translator Chen Yu as part of their Two Languages, One Community collaboration. Michael is a former deputy director of the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco and has extensive experience in community-based arts. He's a board member of the Friends of the San Francisco Public Library. The interview you're about to hear was recorded earlier this week. Well, hello, Michael War. Welcome to Be More Now. It's such a pleasure to have you here with me. It is great to be here and to be with you again. Right? Even if it's on the phone, it's still a connection. I recently heard someone talking about social distancing versus physical distancing, not social distancing. Right. Right? Exactly. We're we're very socially not distanced. We cannot cannot be socially uh, distanced. We cannot be forced to be socially distanced. (laughs) I actually love the way the poetry and the literary community has responded to that whole thing. I've been very impressed with that. I know. We've been doing that with our Zoom readings in Point Arena, and you've been reading a lot, and you're going to be our Zoom reader this coming third Thursday in September. That's September 17th. So I'm real. Forward. Why don't we start with a little bit of background on you and you know, how you became mm-hmm. a poet and your slam background a bit and how you got involved with social justice and human rights and how activism Whoa. came into your poetry. <laughs> That's a big, big question. Yeah, well, well, some of those things are inter- some of those things are interconnected. I always like to trace my kind of naming myself as a poet to stealing a book, and it was an anthology called Three Thousand Years of Black Poetry. And that's where I met Gwendolyn Brooks. That's where I met Amiri Baraka. That's um, a number of poets who I was fortunate enough to come to actually meet later in life. But Gwendolyn was the one who, when I read her poem, you know, um, what is it? The poem, um, The Pool Players. And I said, I can do that. Arrogantly, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as a kid, that's how it and starts. so yeah, that's 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 what really kind of started me on that road, so to speak. And um, I was fortunate because years later I got to know her, and when I moved to Chicago, and we became good friends. And my first poetry award comes from her. Um, but the the other thing is that while I was stealing that book, which eventually it was stolen from me, <laughs> so it comes around, goes around, um, but. Outside of the school I was going to, the Black Panthers were passing out their newspaper in front of the school. I mean, it was those times. And um, so it was kind of this confluence of, you know, reading and also being engaged as a kid in, in the movement. And so there's always that interconnection between writing and social change and social action. Uh, and that, that started for me very, very young, but that was not uncommon at the time. And where did you go to school? Yeah, I grew up in San Francisco. Yeah, that's what I thought. And 
Uh, the school I went to is in an area, it's called Portola, and the school was Portola High, but it's now, I think, uh, it's now called Martin Luther King. And um, it's a very interesting neighborhood. You know, San Francisco had more black people in it at the time. Um, that, that section of the population had dropped down to something like 3%. Um, but it used to be up to like 20%. And, uh, but I went to a very integrated school, and the neighborhood I lived in was pretty integrated as well. And because I was a Jehovah's Witness at the time, uh, I also lived, um, worshipped in a very kind of global environment because there were people from all over the world at the international assemblies. Um, but the school I went, I, I went to was also um, pretty mixed. And um, that, that really influenced me, I think, um, early, early on. So, and the high school I went to was right across the street from there. Both my elementary school and my um, junior high school just practically next door to each other. And then you went to Chicago ultimately, because I want you to talk a little bit about your Chicago slam days. Yeah, you know, Chicago, that is kind of where, even though I started writing poetry, like, very young. I mean, I was writing poetry um, in at least junior high, maybe even before that, and doing it publicly. Um, but it's in Chicago that I really kind of matured as a poet um, early on because I moved there when I was about 20, 21 years old. And I wound up, um, I was in Chicago for a few years before going to Africa as a foreign correspondent. And I actually stopped writing poetry when I was in Africa. But when I got back to Chicago, I was in Africa for five years. When I got back to Chicago, I was very involved in a bookstore called Guild Books. And the great thing about Guild Books is that it was an intersection between what in those days were referred to as the academic poets and the slam poets or the performing poets. I, I never really was a slam poet, but I was very involved in that community. And I was always the person as an organizer of poets, of bringing the two communities together. You know, these um, poets and writers who were based in a university setting and those who were, um, you know, really didn't, weren't going through a formal training right. And poetry, which I, you know, I've never I've gone through a formal training myself. And um, the Guild, um, Guild Bookstore and then what became the Guild Complex, which was a nonprofit uh, literary center for, you know, these public events of all sorts, um, but particularly based in poetry. Um, I became really well known for pulling all these diverse communities together in every sense of the word diverse, from different neighborhoods, different parts of town, different um, genres, different styles of writing. And uh, I personally have only been involved <laughs> in two slams in my life, and I won both of them. And one of them was like had all the stars, including one of my closest friends, um, Patricia Smith, who like won the slam thing like seven or eight times and is now a world-renowned um, poet. And Mark Smith, you know, who is um, known for kind of starting the slam. And, that's, you know, a number of other poets. And we just had a great time because I won. And I, would, I never really um, competed in the slam. And I personally, I, I, I was very conscious about that because I was this person organizing poets. And I was running this center that were pulling poets from all these different communities together. So I chose not to compete, and I chose not to be a slam judge. Um, and I kind of just stuck to those guns, except in that case, and in the case when I um, slammed online. And this was like, wow. In the, I think this was in the 1990s with, against Bruno Ravansky, 
who's the um, son of the, um, the kind of great literary publisher, um, Victor Novansky. And we did this online slam where we were like sending emails basically <laughs> back and forth. And, uh, and I won that one. And then, you know, I hung up my slam, um, you know, gloves after that. <laughs> I love it. But you did win. You won. I did win. The I, you big, know, the I big championship, right? I, I conquered on both occasions. <laughs> <laughs> You're two-time in the arena. I have I to love say it. that I was, I was strongly influenced by those slam poets. I mean, there's some of the best-known poets around today at the time. Right. There was a line between the two communities, but now all those poets are known in academia, and they're all teaching. And you know, so the guild complex um, played a real kind of critical role in bringing those communities together, but also allowing a place for their voice. And um, the guild bookstore had a whole poetry section that included not only books by famous poets and by academic poets, um, but also it allowed chapbooks. So were all these self-published books by these emerging writers who at the time were barely recognized and sometimes they were um, dissed, you know, as not really being poets. And, um, you know, this got to, the, it's got to the point today where now they're published, you know, extensively. So. Right. In the end, there is redemption. You know, <laughs> well, it's great. I think that that level of street poetry, slam poetry, really did mm-hmm. enter into academia and brought yes. it to a legitimate voice. That poetry of protest, obviously, is of poetry and protest. Your book that is mm-hmm. so fantastic that includes some of the poets you were just talking about. But I, before we go there, I would like to ask you about your Lifetime Achievement Award. This is huge. Huh. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. I. I, I, I was totally came out of left field. I was not expecting it, which is, um, for me, that's always, that's the, my favorite way of being awarded is what I don't expect is my um, first award was from Gwendolyn Brooks. And um, I was not expecting it. And uh, I always give her props for, for that. And I wasn't expecting this one either, the, the, life, the Berkeley Lifetime Achievement Award, which I received on October 25th at the Berkeley Poetry Festival. That festival is the 23rd through the 25th. So um, even though I'm um, accepting the award and reading on the 25th from 4 to 5, between 4 and 5 p.m., I mean, I encourage everybody to tune in to the um, earlier, uh, to the poetry uh, festival from the beginning. And, and, and will, it'll will be the be- first time it's virtual. Right. I was going to say, will you be willing to give me the link to that so I can include that on oh, definitely. the page definitely. that I'm going to send people to definitely. after the show? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. And one of the things about it is that in last year, the, the recipient was Al Young, who was the California Poet Laureate and is a wonderful um, poet, but also a, um, someone who served the poetry community. And that's the thing about this particular award even though I live in San Francisco, the Berkeley uh, Lifetime Achievement Award looks at poets throughout the entire Bay Area. And it is recognizing not only your work in, in the sense of your writing, but also the life that you've lived in serving poetry. And so I wish there were actually more awards like, like, like that. And I'm really happy to um, be recognized for that because I've... Um, I've spent a lot of my life playing exactly that role, and I continue to, to, to oh, do so. Oh, yes. I mean, that's how we met when you were serving poetry. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. You know, you've, you've been a And voice. you do the same. Yes. I mean, it's, it's the soul language. And so in that sense, whatever soul means, it's that deep, deep inner language that is so important and needs to be spoken. And the more of us that speak it, the wider our reach gets and the more everybody realizes they have access to that same language. Because, I mean, poets aren't special. They just happen to have either no choice but to listen or they are willing to take the time to sit down. You know, we all have the voice. I just want to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. This is Blake Moore, and I'm interviewing Michael War, 2020 Lifetime Achievement Award winner and author of Poetry of Protest. Well, my my good friend, um, ex-roommate and publisher of my first three books, Luis Rodriguez, He's, you know, he, he likes to talk about how art gets beaten out of us when we're kids often, you know, and some of us survive, you know, survive that and hang on to our creativity. Um, but everyone has the ability, you know, the, the, the potential and the possibility. And that, again, is one of the things that I, I call the, um, the, I call it the poetry movement when I refer to the time that the slam was emerging because the slam was just one component of a number of different things that were happening. In the African-American community, there's, there's never really kind of a split between performance and academia, so to speak, because of the role of the preacher. And so, you know, we didn't have that kind of artificial divide, divide that, that, that existed. But the reason I raise it is because I think that that whole poetry movement that was taking place was part of what you just referred to, where you're bringing um, poetry to the masses, so to speak, where you're bringing it into the community, not just sharing your own, but opening up the door for people in that community to bring their own creativity uh, forward. And that also empowered other voices. I mean, do you feel that there's connection to hip-hop and poetry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my, um, my brother-in-law uh, recently, when I was making one of these announcements, I think it was the announcement about the Berkeley Poetry Festival, he, uh, he wrote me an email and said, man, I remember where it started, right? Because he, he was dating my sister, and I would be washing the dishes in the kitchen, <laughs> and I'd be uh, reciting poems from the last poets. And the last poets, of course, you know, I give props to the hip-hop community that they, they trace their own origins to at least back to uh, the last poets. And for me, you know, it even goes before that. But um, my poetry was very my pers- my poetry personally was very much influenced by by hip hop. And in my first book, the uh, we were all the black boy. Um, I actually thank the the um, I thank uh, uh, Public Enemy, you know, for the influence that they had on me at, at at the time. But I I appreciate the fact that there has been this recognition between the um, poetry and and hip-hop from the very early uh, stages of that particular yeah. uh, create, creative movement. And um, Gwendolyn Brooks, you know, when she was alive, she also early on made the point that, um, that hip-hop is poetry. Right. So do you want to read a poem? I'm feeling a poem uh, from you Sure. Right well, the thing is, is that what I love about this format that you have is that I feel I can share some poems that I don't normally get a chance to share because mm-hmm. normally I'm stuffing poems into a seven-minute to 20-minute framework. And, you know, I do like to have conversations about the poem and to introduce them. Um, and you know me. I create my um, 
poetic voice, I treat my poetic voice as one for social change. And that often means that I'm leaving or pushing behind some of my other poet poems because I'm pushing the more overtly um, political ones to the front because uh, I just want to take advantage of the time that I have to speak to the public. Um, but so what I'd like to do right now is um, start with something I don't normally get a chance to read. And if you don't mind, I'd like to read two poems. The first one um, about my mother. These are two poems about my mother. And one of them is very short, and the other one is a little longer. But both are part of my Two Languages, One Community project with poet translator Chung Yu, which means that they both exist in Chinese. Okay. Um, as well. So the first one is called Black Star. And this poem is based on a photograph of my mother that people can see at the Two Languages, One Community website. That's twolanguagesonecommunity.com. And it's this picture of my mother, which is absolutely beautiful. She, when I first saw it, I thought um, what many people who see it think when they first um, come across the image is that, wow, she looks like a movie star. And, but this poem is about how because of my mother's black skin, she was... Um, um, kind of you know, degraded or you know, people would you know, talk badly about how she looked even though she was beautiful. It's called Black Star to Gay War, 1932 to 2015. She was called Shinola outside her name as flight against her blackness by souls caught inescapably in her dark attraction and blinded by her radiance in the sky. So that poem exists as part of two languages, one community, along with the image. And I, a lot of my writing is image influenced and film in, in influenced. And whenever I can, I try to put the two things together, that is the image and the text. This um, second one is, uh, is also to my mother who passed away in 2015, and it's called Old to the, to the Bed. Waves lapped silently against the shores of her thinning body. A cotton ocean rages in sheets of ancestral trees and fallen leaves, seeping with the screaming ink of unseen creditors, age crumpled into wives of analysis, doused in dollar signs afloat in theocratic tracts of divinity and everlasting life. A sea of see-through bags of everything, cash, IDs, credit cards, scrawled notes of what to remember, entangled in strangling rubber bands as if talibans for protection beside sand dunes of, ele of ebbing pillows, encircling fragility like lifesaver jackets inflated with our innocence, ignorance of this unexpected arrival of another humanization, our belated knowing of the lateness of being, when things needed to be hidden, when bread became the enemy, when remotes morphed into the foam and hands that refused to grasp and loving minds could not hold the gravity, missing the moment when demons whispered in bedroom air, when we could not witness their intrusion, not knowing that they were there, when not there, or when they crept into the ceiling, closet, covers, sinking into the foam of this unruly lunarscape where sleep struggled with the day and with the night, and geography of a room became a world. Thank you. Wow. 
Yeah, that um, that poem is about my mother's struggle with dementia, mm. which is what eventually um, um, took her took her away, and um, I spent a lot of time in that room with her, um, uh, giving giving um, care. But I like reading those two poems together because they kind of capture, you know, the the early parts of her life and then the the end of her of her life. And I don't get a chance to read those very often, so right. thank you for the opportunity. Oh, of course. They're just so, you have such a, a mastery of the language, so thank you. And well, also, it's the first time I was able to, I always wanted to write an ode because I was very influenced by Pablo Neruda. And uh-huh. I, always loved, uh, I always loved the fact that he would, you know, he influenced me first again with his political um, work, uh, political poetry. And then I got a chance to start reading his odes, and this also happened at a very early age. And I, I used to tell myself, oh, I want to write an ode one day. And so I finally got around to it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's my first ode. Thank you, Pablo Neruda. Oh, I, I love writing odes. I like writing anti-odes, too, because there's so much uh, fun, especially, you know, with some of the things that are happening. It's just nice to put that all down on paper and for me never share yeah. it. You know, I love that. Rants. I love doing that. I want to, I want to hear some of those. I might I, be writing anti-odes and not know it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am. I'm sure you are. <laughs> I want to talk about what not to do your unfinished poem and then also kind of segue into your phenomenal book of poetry and protest. So I'm going to let you decide how you want to go about that, but I think that both those mm. subjects are tied together and so important. Yeah, I think I think I have to read some of it. Yes, I would agree. Yeah. So the thing is, is that this poem, What Not to Do, and it's important to kind of hold that title in mind as you listen to it, What Not to Do, an unfinished poem. It's a poem that I've been working on since 2018. In some ways, it's a poem I've been working on my entire life because I have been engaged in this struggle against police brutality and police killing since I was a kid. And, um, but I just got writing this piece that hit me um, in 2018, and I started naming the names of, um, people who, of black people who have been killed by the police when they were unarmed, right? And, um, or they were, you know, they had a gun that was legal and they were explaining, I own this, I have a license for this gun. Um, and they still were, were, were shot. And so the poems start taking select names and naming them. And so you can imagine that's a pretty long poem because I'm not referring to every single incident, but I refer to quite a few of them. So I'm going to read an excerpt of them. I'm going to read about a third of the poem. Um, This is, I think, a three-minute version. Um, The the, the entire version probably takes about 10 to 12 minutes. Um, What not to do an unfinished poem. Breathe, Eric Gardner choked. Sell, Lucy's. Resist to death. Stand, Amadou Diallo, in vestibule. Carry, wallet. Look out of place. Act suspicious. 41 fired, 19 bullets kill. Park, China Haggerty, on side of road. Talk, on cell, on side of road. Shot, on side of road. Drive, Philando Castile, with broken brake lights. Carry, legal firearm. Announce, you have a gun. Shout, 
not reaching for gun. Shot, five bullets, two to heart. Approach, Oscar Grant, the police. Beg not to shoot. Nil, shot anyway, and back. Carry to Mill Wright's toy gun, shot with real bullets. Carry, remain Brisbane, prescription bottle, shot two bullets to torso. Not carry Keith Lamont Scott a gun when told to drop it, shot. Be Natasha McKinnon, schizophrenic. Be superhuman, stunned by shackled 50,000 votes to death. Be John Crawford, an imminent threat. Shop for Walmart air rifle. Carry Walmart air rifle at Walmart. Talk on cell phone at Walmart. Shot with real bullets at Walmart. Be George Floyd, a suspect. Be a six foot seven black man. Be claustrophobic, asphyxiated, knee on neck while handcuffed. Run Stephen Clark, the grandmother's yard. Carry cell phone, shot 20 bullets, fired eight hit, primarily in back. Jog Ahmad Arbery, shot two bullets, killed while hunted. Sleep Breonna Taylor in bed, shot eight bullets, killed. Sleep Richard Brooks at Wendy's, flee. Flee for daughter's birthday. Point did taser over shoulder, shot two bullets in back. Walk Elijah McLean home, look sketchy, play music, wear ski mask, shop for iced tea, carry iced tea, act crazy, whisper can't breathe, display superhuman strength, beg to go home, be anemic, be suspicious, be on something, choked to death, breathe. So that's about a third of that poem. Every once in a while I read the whole thing, but... um, I try to read it as much as possible because I think it's critical that the names not be forgotten. Yeah. And unfortunately, I will be um, adding to that poem. I know. There's a whole new batch. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, that, that poem is hard for me to get to sometimes. I can understand. <laughs> it's hard to listen to, too. You know, yeah. it's a lot of truth. And when I first wrote it, it's... Um, I didn't care if it was a if it was a poem. <laughs> it's I just had to put it out there. I submitted it to a contest. I think it was for the Neruda Awards. I don't submit the contest much, but because Neruda had such a big impact on me, right? I decided to submit it to the Nimrod International Journal. Uh-huh. They have a they have a Neruda um, Award, and th- it it won one of the. Um, this was early on. This was back in 2018, and it 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 um, was selected as a runner-up. And so after it was selected, I said, "Okay, well, I guess it is a poem." <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, my point is, is it really didn't matter, you, you know. And um, but typically, the form of a poem is not that critical to me. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not a poet that pays that much attention to the form. I kind of create my own forms, and. Um, this poem, the form of it is really, really kind of critical. But again, it's something that I'm creating. And so I'm very kind of cognizant of um, maintaining that structure. 
And so the structure, include, the structure includes the name. In the poem, the names appear in bold. Um, the first line is always about um, what led to this, to, you know, you know, these different things are named like breathe, sell, resist, stand, carry, look, act, park, talk. These are all things that these people were doing when they were, when they were shot. Um, and there's a lot of kind of brackets in the, in the poem. So I don't know, I don't know if I sent this to you, but I'll, I'll share it um, so you can see the um, form if I didn't send it to you already. Once again, I want to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with poet and author Michael War. So what about this fabulous book of poetry and protest? Well, you're right that this poem is directly related to that, even though it's not in the book. And I purposely chose, as the editor, the poetry editor of Poetry and Protest from Emmett Till to Trayvon Martin. This is a book that was published by W.W. Norton, in 2016, it's an anthology, and then it was reprinted in 2000, and um, I think in the 2018. So it's done well, and it is dedicated to uh, this it, this very issue of police killings. And the book has like 43, I think, different poets in it. It's a large, um, oversized book. It includes um, it's about about 220 pages. It includes portraits, photographic portraits of each poet. And these were taken by a wonderful photographer um, named Victoria Smith. And we traveled around to get these photographs. And the, the, each poet in the collection has their portrait. They have what I call an I statement, which is their personal biographical essay of no more than 500 words that kind of says why they're a poet, you know, how they became a poet, why they continue to be a poet, and how it relates to the theme of the book. And um, it also includes archival materials and the poem. And because it's an oversized book, this, the poems could be long poems. And it was really important to us um, and the designers of the book, that these pages are really distinct. They look different, so the photographs are very different. The, 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 one of my favorite poems in the book, by the way, I won't read it because it's too long, but there's a poem by Wanda Coleman called Emmett Till. And um, Wanda is one of the few poets in here where there's two photographs of her, and they're beautiful photographs, but because we were looking to keep them distinct, there's one of her with her hand over her face. And when her husband saw the photograph, uh, she had passed by that point, and his response was, but she had such a beautiful face. <laughs> so I, uh, I decided to, that my, you know, my Solomon-like solution was to have two photographs of Wanda. Mm. Um, and so the book is, is, because it has these photographs, archival materials, yeah. essays, historical documents, it's, a, it's, it's long, even with only 43 poets. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, a, it's really an important book. I refer to it as a tool within a tool box of different tools. You know, so in other words, this book is not just a book of poems, but it's also a book to be used to convey what's going on and hopefully to be used toward change. Yeah. And um, I have some kind of future um, projects where I you know, want to kind of take it to the, to the next step. And I purposely did not put my own poetry in here because I knew that there are just so many other poets who deserve to be in this book, like myself, 
if somebody else was editing, I'd probably be one of the poets they invited. Um, right. But I didn't want to take up the space because I just knew that there were so many poets I wouldn't be able to put in the book. Um, so I have a, um, a, a introduction in the book and kind of an expanded acknowledgments page. I was going to ask you why you were not in the book. Those are my those are my people, right? That's right. my tribe. I've been right. writing poems like this and about this since elementary, well, excuse me, since junior high school at least, you know. Um, but I'm glad I made that de- de- decision, and um, I'm I'm really happy that I am part of the project as a poetry editor, but also that I was able to write an introduction to the book and why it was necessary, you know, why right. is a book like this even necessary, and thrilled that it actually has gone into a second printing and hoping that it goes into a third. Oh, it's a beautiful book. What you said about how every page feels different, Yeah, you really get this sense of all these different people and their distinct Versus same format. Oh, there's a picture. Mm-hmm. Here's the words. There's a, there's the essay. It really yeah. it flows and it's a great book. Very what? well designed and all the writing is just outstanding. Yeah, it's a it's a really great collection of poets and yes. um, there's a few who um, weren't who didn't that one of the poets that's in the book is Marilyn Nelson who's a remarkable poet and I am um, I wanted to publish her children's book. Uh, she also has a poem on Emmett Till. And we were going to publish the entire book-length poem as part of this book. And it's, it's long, but it's short, you know, because it's a children's book. So relatively speaking, we could have used it. And we just, we, the publisher just, we, we couldn't get the, the, the rights from the publisher. So we published another wonderful poem uh. by, by her. So there were a few incidents like that of things we wanted in it that we wanted in it that we weren't able to get in it. Um, but uh, still, it's a, it's a great project. And I do want to give a plug because um, I want to say that for institutions and bookstores that want to order this book, go to Norton and order it because I think that will help keep the book in print. Mm-hmm. And this book is needed more than ever. And, I, you know, I, I shouldn't even have to worry about it being in print, but such is the world, right? Such is the right? state of publishing. I can't guarantee that it will be in print, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it remains in print. So if you're an institution, order it from Norton because that will help get it in print. Or people who do this kind of work, they know it, you know, what to do to help, you know, so that Norton pays attention. But I want to also say to individuals who want a copy of the book, they can order it directly also from the Museum of the African Diaspora, which is where I used to be the, um, the um, deputy director. And that institution, the museum in San Francisco, they have sold out of that book at least 10 times. And um, wow. they, they now have an online bookstore where you can um, purchase it. And that not only helps the sales of the book because they order it from Norton, but also it helps um, the museum. So <laughs> that's my, that's my commercial plug. plug the, that's my commercial plug for the day. <laughs> Very important. I think that's, that's a yeah. good thing. And I will also just include the link on the page so people, if they're interested, to go see it. I think that the timeliness of it, you said it came out in 2018. It just No, it came, out first, it, it came out first in 2016. Oh, 16. And then it got, yeah, it got republished in 2018, 19. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's definitely a part two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm laughing. Well, my dream is... Because I would be crying. I have a grant out there that, I, you know, unfortunately it will remain a... a um, a subject um, 
for too long. And, right. um, but I, my idea is to create a, I have a grant out right now to create a digital version of the book that expands it um, not only in terms of like this poem, for instance, that I read, I'm going to create a site for that poem so that people can see the updates because it's a serial poem, unfortunately. It doesn't stop. It keeps getting um, rewritten. Well, the same thing with the book. I'm going to have a digital version of a poetry and protest that um, has a portal where artists, whether they're visual artists, musicians, writers, where people can contribute to the theme. And also um, where there's actually a toolkit that I wasn't able to put in the first uh, version of the book, the print version, but a digital toolkit that connects people doing this work, that gives updates on what's happening in terms of the movements against police killings, the legal cases, the different um, methodologies that people can use to have an impact on changing uh-huh. the situation. So. Um, it's, um, I, I think it's called a poetry and protest, a manifesto. But I am, um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking funding for that right now. I tend to, when I set out to do something, whether I get the funding or not, I'm going to make it happen. But um, I always start with trying to get some, <laughs> some cash to get it done, because that's quite an undertaking. Um, but that's kind of what I see as the next phase of a poetry and protest. The idea of a portal for other people to have mm-hmm. a say and contribute, yeah. I think it's really valuable. Exactly, and particularly artists. Yes, because I think that's one of the hardest things. It's like you said about this book of yours. You know, there wasn't enough room to include everybody, so you kind of have to right. pick. And there's so many unsung voices out there that are equally oh, powerful, but they're not mm-hmm. known. And so it's yeah. to provide an opportunity for them to sit alongside and be in that room. Virtual publishing makes that possible in a way that it wasn't before. We're mm-hmm. running toward the end of time. and I want to make sure people know how to find out more about you. How would they do that? Okay, let me just do a few ways, and then I'll send you these links too. But okay. um, obviously, people can go to my Facebook um, profile, but also I have a Facebook um, page where I share the works of other poets and what's going on with other poets, and that is on Facebook, and it's called Poetry, etc. The Armageddon of Funk by Michael Ward. So the Armageddon of Funk is my second book of poetry, but um, if you just post, look up my name um, in Google, it'll it'll come up. But there's there's another place where I post all my upcoming events, and this is a page that's just about me and my poetry life, and it's on Tumblr, and it's um, Michael War one word dash. Let me start over. Michael War one word hyphen creative work dot tumblr dot com and the great thing about that page is it kind of connects all the different parts of my life I'm, I'm also an organizational development consultant that works with nonprofits so people can see that work there they can see my background but they can also um, connect to events I have coming up and um, on the on Facebook there's also a group page and a um, book page for poetry and protest and um, and I think lastly I just want people to be aware of this two languages one community project which is where Chung Yu and I are connecting the black community and the Chinese speaking community through poetry and storytelling mm. and the website for that is two languages one community.com 
And you were going to maybe share a poem from that also. So that would be, um, if you want to speak a little bit okay. about that and then share a poem. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, so first of all, the, the first two poems that I read, Black Star, the poem about my mother, and Ode to the Bed, are both poems that emerged out of that project. You know, so they are both in English and um, Chinese. And one poem that I'm going to read that is um, relatively short and comes out of contemporary times, there's been these attacks against Chinese and Asian people um, around the world, and um, Trump has basically, you know, fueled some of, of that. Uh, and it's called To Your Assailant, Who Attacks Us All. And this poem I wrote in part of a collaboration with the Chinese Cultural Center here in San Francisco. They asked me to address that issue. And there's a video of me reciting the poem on the stairs of the Asian Art Museum here in San Francisco with City Hall in the background. To your salient, do you call yourself God-fearing, devoted to do on to others? Does your God condone your violence, your ignorance, your corruption? Does your God hate your neighbor like you do? Does your God share your love for prophets bearing false witness, fueling your grievance fever? Do you swallow the lies they regurgitate? Do you really need a reason? Are you truly a true believer of both God and golden calf? Does the all-knowing know you? Do they love you as you are? Does it matter that they are watching your naked depravity? Do you pray before you pray on innocence in this guilty world? Do you have your God's blessing, or are you as godless as you seem? Did your father teach you to beat the mean and maim? Is he proud of your cowardice? Does your mother say, well done, son? Did they train you in backwardness? Do you feel bigger in your smallness? content with acts of uselessness? Is your inner bully seething still beneath your concealed surface? Are you comforted in your criminality, stupefied by superiority, simply insane or lost? Who are you? That poem's also um, translated by Chung Yu. And, um, again, this was another one of these um, pieces where I didn't care if it was a poem, but right. it is, um, right. it is an, uh, there is a name for these types of poems. Um, it's, you know, and it's, it, it's not interrogatory. It's uh, something like that where, you know, it's a, it's a questioning poem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Do you pray before you pray, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Really, yes. Speechless and so grateful for the depth of that expression because it really is beyond understanding. And when you put those questions so front out, it, it calls to the humanity in all of us. And that's what I want people to do. You know, I, I this is another different um, experience for me as a poet because the Chinese Cultural Center came to me basically on a Tuesday and asked me to do this. And I had this percolating in my mind, but I had to start writing it, right. which is often happens with poems, right? And I wrote this poem within two days and um, videotaped it on the fourth day, not even knowing how I was going to do it because I was by myself. And um, I had to do like a, a selfie video of me reciting the poem because they had also re- re- um, like, um, requested a video. And... Um, and that, that, it all came together with over a four-day period. And for me, 
that's really quick. I, I can hold on to a poem for years before I um, share it with the public. I mean, I have one poem that took me 10 years to, to write. So I am feeling these days that I am trying to pick up my speed because these times demand it. And I am more willing to live with my errors, you know. And I, with the, with the what not to do poem, I actually see it as a, as a serial poem, and I'm constantly reworking it. And the poem that I just read, To Your Assailant, the, the original title was To Your Assailant Who Attacks Us All, A Rant in Progress. And the reason I put that a rant in progress, because I expected that I would be changing this poem and constantly rewriting it, that it's done. <laughs> so I've kind of taken a rant in progress out of it. I want people to know that it's a rant, but, um, but it's, it's one of those situations where you look at it and you say, okay, there's nothing else for me to do with that one. That's exactly right. You said it all. Yeah, well, we are out of time. Unfortunately, I knew this time would just go by so quickly. <laughs> just, I mean, thank you so much, Michael War, for being a voice in the wilderness, so willing to support all the poets and all the voices and keep that love alive and that sense of justice. It really is valuable work. Well, thank you, and it's so good to be in conversation with you, and I look forward to our upcoming reading. Me too, and I hope that everyone who's listening does tune in to Third Thursday Poetry. We're going to have a Zoom, a virtual Zoom reading, and Michael will just be reading poems. Do you have a short poem you can just take us out with, something real quick? Yeah, let me see here, something short. Mm. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, here's Don't a, here's be sorry. A, oh, here's one. This is, this is called La Mujer, to Mitar's Base. He plays her and paints a fresco of abstract improvisation. On this Sabbath evening, she is Maringue with a Senegalese mouth. Her neck slopes like gazelles of the savanna or Somalia's Iman. Fingers push and pull her griot possessed strings. The bassist behind her manipulates frequencies in the nightclub's nicotine atmosphere as dark as a massaged feet. Her hips removed from a deity of fertility off the ivory coast, a shellac, brown, round stomach, hard as a baobab tree, mouth wide open a la Bessie Smith, frying in fat back blues, served with guttural sounds on a Baroque bow. She wells because the basement makes her tense. He moans as she orchestrates his mojo hands. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael Moore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A different note. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you take care. Okay, you too. We'll be in touch soon. Keep up, the, keep up the good work. Oh, you too. Thank you so much. And that concludes my interview with Michael War, 2020 Berkeley Lifetime Achievement Awardee and poet. And we also talked about his latest book of poetry and protest from Emmett Till to Trayvon Martin. And he has definitely lived a literary life of service. To check out the links Michael was talking about, go to bemoreyou.net, B-M-O-R-E-Y-O-U.net, and look for the musing section. And you'll find the link to this show as its archive, as well as some more information about Michael War.
And thank you so much for listening to the show tonight. Next month on October 1st, I'll be back with Dr. Lynn Katai, who is a personal up-close witness to the Phoenix light phenomenon that happened in 1997 in Arizona. It was a mass UFO sighting, and she's coming out with a documentary called Phoenix Lights. And it's going to be screening at the Starworks USA conference in November. As an up-close and personal eyewitness of the Phoenix Light, she's a doctor and a healthy skeptic, but she has the only 35-millimeter photos of the unidentified flying object that have been analyzed and authenticated exclusively throughout the past 25 years by military and university optical experts and confirmed as truly unknowns. This should be an exciting opportunity to get an up-close and personal story from someone who had a direct sighting of something unknown. Perfect for October, when the veils are thin and the nights are getting longer. And when you tune in tomorrow at 9 a.m. right here on KZYX, you can catch Politics, A Love Story. Friday, September 4th, Politics, A Love Story with host Bob Ushansky will talk with Phil Worf, political science professor at Mendocino College. Both conventions are over. To what result? They'll discuss the disastrous and incompetent response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the contradiction of the failing economy and rising stock market, and whether anyone outside the Beltway cares about the Hatch Act. That's Politics, a Love Story. Tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, here on KZYXNZ. I would like to also mention the reading with Michael War for the third Thursday Pointerina Poetry that will happen this September 17th at 7 p.m. virtually via Zoom. If you'd like to get the link to that, you are welcome to email me, Blake at arenatechcenter.org. That's A-R-E-N-A-T-E-C-H-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. And I'll send you the Zoom link. We will be featuring him as well as having an open mic. So be sure and mention you'd like to read when you send me that email. Up next is Pulse of the Planet, followed by W. Dan and lots of great laughs from the treehouse. So stay tuned. I'm going to take us out with Climbing Poetry, We Rising Up, featuring Carolyn Malachi. Stop us, the love we got's colossal We rising up White supremacy, your phone's about to topple We rising up All imposters of power petrified like fossils
they used to contrive, we be alive no matter the gun. Nooses and whips, we be our son. Cops and repeat, inside the lie, we be the truth no matter the time. Yeah, we arrive, fist in the sky, shatter the virus, we be the ones. We be strong inside this fight no matter what, don't be polite. Make this freedom look so bright, running at the speed of light. The saints are on our side, look at how we ride. We don't need your guns, we got people power and a prayer with the divine. Mira my dad, tira pa' acá la historia en una lanza que nos quiere asesinar, pero la gente se resiste. Resistance is a natural response. You gonna tell me that we ain't bound for freedom Man, you can't trick us We got eyes to see us We be looking beautiful despite your amnesia Against the contagious Trigger happy fever Your violence needs a surgical procedure Beyond imagination, the children of cosmic dust wrapped in enigma made flesh. Black people are supernatural, drum magic and time travel. Black people are rising. Black people are significant, magnificent, omnipresent, resilient, immeasurable, unstoppable, indispensable, brilliant. Black people are eternal, ancient ancestors of the entire planet. Black people are breathtaking, the creators of this nation, the cornerstone of liberation. Black people are genius. Black people are people on a mission to get free by any means necessary. I'm the heart, my soul, my breath. Black people are the source. Black people are the gorgeous rebellion by the simple act of being born. KKK, no rape, migration, second rate, no fake fool Prison schools, mind games, self-hate Overworked and underpaid, we survive it anyway Como fue, como sea, como quiere que lo veas Vamos a ganar, en la tierra de los libres Se liberan las ideas, otro mundo es posible Cuando el rebelde lo imagina Y el sabio lo planea We rise and love Black lives matter worldwide Till the end of time We rise and love From the top to the bottom 